Jordan Ork would like to welcome you to this podcast. He prays that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Uh, we'll do just a little bit of quick review here. Um, if we could get uh, Babe on the thing there. Uh, I don't have my iPad. I forgot my iPad, so I can't control it up here. Um, on the playlist there, uh, picture number one. And these are, these are just quickly uh, from last week. Uh, you may or may not have seen all these. Let me dim those there real quick. The cave entrance there. And then the next one. That one's a little closer, a little better. Then the last one, the next one. And that's kind of a good all-around shot of it. And you can leave that up there for a moment or whatever. So that is, somebody remind me, the Gates of Hades. There it is. And you can see this. I mean, you can sort of see this ground they're standing on. It's it's solid ground, and um, this is. And there's a lot of wonderful history, and, and um, you could find pretty much whatever information you wanted to on all of this. Uh, but getting to this place uh, was a fun little journey. But nonetheless, Jesus uh, went there with his uh, disciples, and this place was really. I, I know a guy in Ann Arbor who does pilgrimages a couple, well, probably several times a year, actually. He leads pilgrimages to Israel, the Holy Land. And um, Anybody ever done one of those? Nobody, really. Me neither. Might want to? I want to. I think it'd be awesome. And it doesn't matter what you say. I know somebody, I don't have to go to Israel to experience God. I don't either. I just think it's cool. Hallelujah. It, it would be cool to see where God himself walked. You know, I don't think there's a special anointing there that you can't get somewhere else, but it's still cool. But that's just me. Um, so here you have the gates of Hades or Hades. And this was, um, well, my friend who I mentioned, started to mention, up, he's, he lives in Ann Arbor, actually, who does uh, pilgrimages there. He says that there's a plaque there uh, here, somewhere around here on the gates of Hades that says, uh, and I, I don't have the quotation, but that this was um, at the time of when Jesus walked the earth as a man, uh, that this was a singular phenomena type. It's just an extravagant, you know, big, uh, kind of a wonder of the world kind of thing is the, is the way it was perceived in people's minds. and Because it was literally thought to be the gate to the netherworld, the entrance to the netherworld. And remember, that's what Hades is. It's the Greek equivalent of what the Jewish people called Sheol, right? And a lot of times in your Old Testament, um, Sheol is translated as hell. It's translated as grave. It's translated in, in English as pit. It's translated as destruction. And that's really what, the, what it meant. There was no clear theology of the afterlife in Jewish theology. And in the first century, there was still a lot of confusion. Uh, just consider how the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees did not. And any doctrine of the resurrection uh, developed late, later on in Jewish theology, and it was never um, clearly spelled out. Nonetheless, um, they, they believed this was the gate to the netherworld, which is a good way of, of understanding Sheol. The Jews believed and the Greeks believed uh, that Sheol or Hades was simply the abode of the dead, 
that is all the dead. And so um, there was no compartments for the good or the bad, the wicked or the righteous in their understanding. It was just the abode of the dead. No, no one really understood it. Uh, they just had some small insight into there's something after this. Nonetheless, uh, so this is at uh, Caesarea Philippi and um, where Jesus did this at. And he, you know, he goes up there. Who do you say that I am? Some, you know, who do some people say? You know, they say you're this one, that prophet, this prophet, that guy, whatever. Who do you say that I am? Which is always a great question to ask yourself. Who do you say that? Who do I say that he is? And so, um, even if the entire world around you is going to, uh, you know, sink or swim, if the whole world around you is going to sink in a flood, your faith in God can cause you to swim, as it were, right in His ark of safety and preservation. God is that good. God is that faithful. And uh, we spend a lot, of, we waste a lot of our time in, in our, you know, mental conception of God, thinking of ways that it won't work out, that it won't come through, and all that kind of stuff, instead of just trusting boldly, just raw gut, line in the sand, no evidence around you whatsoever, but you don't need any evidence. You don't need a sign from God. You don't need God to send a sparrow to your window to, to chirp four and a half times to let you know that he's really with you. You know that he's with you because his word says he is. Amen? The word of God. So we don't need, we don't live from sign to sign. We live from faith to faith. And our faith is founded on God's truth. That is his precious word. But they would come here and they would take their sacrifices, uh, animal sacrifice, because this did belong, uh, this was dedicated to um, a false Greek god named Pan, for what it's worth. I'm not going to get into all that right now. Um, but they would take these sacrifices, they would throw them down through the, the so-called gates of Hades, and they thought in part it was the gates of the netherworld because at that time they didn't have the means, they could never find a bottom to it. So that was, you know, then and there. But they would throw their sacrifices into it, and if the blood rushed out where it would do that at, which interestingly uh, would, would go into the Jordan River, um, that meant that the god Pan, the Greek god Pan, P-A-N, did not accept their sacrifice. I guess they saw blood, they thought, well, he didn't want it. I don't... And if they didn't see any blood, I guess that meant that he consumed it and took it all and was happy with it. And so this was quite the place, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> quite the place, uh, quite a renown, place of renown, uh, of quite the busy place, just on and on and on. And I love, because charismatics, we get, and not just charismatics, uh, Christians of all ilks and stripes, uh, we get all tore up about stuff. And I, I I never try to sound like a jerk, even though I know I do sometimes. You do too, so take it easy, right? Now, <laughs> not here, somewhere else. Yes, Max, thank you. <laughs> Max gets it. So that makes it okay, huh? Yes, yes. But I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I, 
Jesus walked. Now, if Jesus was a modern charismatic, he would have got closer and closer and closer to that thing. And he would have said, ooh, I, I feel the oppression in this place. And ooh, it's weighing heavy on me. And oh, there's seances and demonic this here. No, he just walked up there and claimed it. I mean, it didn't just scare him at all, man. Just didn't, didn't, he didn't lose any sleep. And he's got this ragtag bunch with him here. That, that, they probably gave him more problems than the devil ever did, you know. <laughs> Putting up with that bunch, you know. But anyways, you know, he gets up there. And so just the fact, and, and I'm trying to, you know, we'll get into reading Matthew here in just a moment. Uh, just by way of very quick review. So he tells him, that this here, what is considered the gates to the netherworld, the gate to darkness, the kingdom of darkness, it will not withstand or overcome or overpower my kingdom, right? Now, he also says to Peter, uh, you know, in, in your English translation, it says, thou art Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock. Well, in Aramaic, which Jesus probably spoke, he would have said, you are rock, and upon this rock, so that ground, a little sort of play on words there. Um, will I build my kingdom, my ecclesia, my called out community, right? So El Diablo or whoever, the Greeks, whoever think this is uh, some big, great deal. And Jesus says, it can't even begin to contend with overcoming my kingdom, right? So remember, Jesus, I've, I've called this when kingdoms collide, when kingdoms collide but I, I don't want us ever for a moment to think that Satan is the Lord's rival because he's not, he's not on the Lord's level or anything like that. Everything Jesus came and endured and went through, of course, obviously was for us. Um, nonetheless, trying to move on here a little bit. So he tells Peter, you know, upon this rock, and there's a lot of ways we can look at that. Chief, Peter was considered the chief of the apostles, but also the, the revelation of what Peter said. What was his revelation? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so that revelation itself is the solid rock that we stand upon. Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone and the solid rock. Romans 9, uh, I, I believe quoting from Isaiah, calls him the rock of offense, the rock of stumbling. Uh, to the Jews who tried to earn righteousness with God. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there, suffice it to say. Uh, picking up and moving on here today, Matthew chapter 16, I do want to hone in. Um, th there's like 10,000 things we can and perhaps will. Uh, probably not, but a lot of things we can consider. But I, I want to hone in to a very simple and foundational idea of these keys but um, I, I think it's one of those things we can all ever stand to be reminded of in uh, quite often. So uh, that being said, let's see here. Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my called out assembly, my community, my church. It can be, we've trans, you know, translated. Um, ecclesia was a common word. It wasn't some special religious word. Um, but nonetheless, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Aren't you glad? 
Hallelujah. Then he says, yes, he says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, and it, it really depends on your translation here, but in the Greek, this is the accurate reading as the New American Standard puts it. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Uh, the NASB does translate it that way, uh, and that is accurate to the Greek. Um, I'm not saying if whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven is a bad translation, but it is a little interesting little nugget there that we'll delve out just a little bit more here. Um, interestingly, uh, th there are a lot of you know a lot of things to consider here um, concerning these keys, and we may or may not too in the coming weeks look at you know if you think. For example, of um, Isaiah chapter 22, and I'm not turning there, but you know you can or you can make a note there, but uh, just something we may or may not look at in the future. But in Isaiah 22, uh, the prophet speaks about the keys of David, right? And Jesus is the son of David, the, the prophetic, fulfilling son of David. And so there's some elements there. And, you know, even in, uh, this is before the cross, of course, but in Revelation, Jesus, Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, later on, from, from Matthew's vantage point of this time, in other words, later on in Revelation, uh, Jesus says that he now has the keys to death and to Hades, right? Death and hell, or the as it is, uh, Hades, the, the netherworld, the abode of the dead. And so there's a lot in that. There's a, some eschatological implications in that. There's resurrection implications in that, there's a lot in that, um, but also we do understand that you know in Isaiah 22 with the keys, we there are, as the scripture says, keys that can open things, right? That no one or nothing else can close, and can close things that nothing or no one else can open, and so these keys here, in in one very pretty clear sense, but even though there's many things we can look at, I want to look today at uh, authority that we all have in Jesus and what we have access to in the name of Jesus. Okay, is that fair enough? Baby, I don't have it in the, the thing there, but if you could, um, I, I just want to put this up here real quick. Book of Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts 4.12, if you could put that up there. Get our minds uh, sort of going in this direction. There we go. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. Then he says, and this is picking up in the middle of his sermon here, but he says, For there is no other name. Of course, the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Well, thank God there's saving power in the name of Jesus. Amen? I said amen? I heard Kenneth Hagin tell a story about uh, another preacher, I believe, relayed this story um, about this gentleman who used to go preach on this uh, Indian, Native American reservation here in the States. And there was this one particular gentleman who was a terrible, uh, what's the word, bane? He was sort of the bane of the community's existence. You know, he was just a, 
Everybody avoided him as best as they could. Here comes trouble on legs. And I guess he was a intimi an intimidatingly large man. And he was also a just severe alcoholic. So he was trouble on legs, looking for somewhere to go all the time, you know. And anyways, but the guy comes into this meeting and, and ever you know, this this evangelist is here to preach the gospel of, of Jesus to, to our tribe and our people and um, there's trouble. Of course, he had to show up to the party. <laughs> Not the kind of party you thought it was, Mr. Trouble. But the guy was teaching on whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And just the long and the short of it was this guy hears enough of, you know, he hears enough of the gospel in a few moments. He stands up. He walks down the, you know, the center right in the middle of the, the message, you know, just interrupting everything and gets down on his knees, and four times he goes, Jesus! And he ends up doing it four times. And he gets up and goes and sits back down. And so they go try to inquire, you know, is he just drunk? Is he just being mean? What happened? Uh, but the long and the short of it was, they asked him what had happened. You know, what were you doing? Was something wrong? Were you just drunk? Were you trying to pray? Did you need help? What? He said, basically told them, well, your problem is you guys don't believe what you preach because I went down there and did what you said. I called on the name of the Lord. And he got, he got genuinely converted, saved, turned around. The whole deal is the story would go on to relay. But uh, there's power in that name, in other words. There's, yeah, he believed it. There's saving power you know, in, in the precious name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, um, Babe, also, and I'm going to wear you guys out a little bit here today with Scripture. I hope that's okay. If you could put Romans 8 up on the board here. Romans chapter 8. And then we'll look. I want to look at verse 17. So remember, the Lord has given to His church, to His people, these keys to the kingdom. And part of what those keys represent are kingdom authority. And so we are in a kingdom. And as... Uh, you know, as Americans, we're not naturally kingdom-minded. As a matter of fact, we started a little ruckus over getting away from a kingdom not that long ago. Hello, Great Britain. How you guys doing over there? Anyways, you know, we kicked rocks, we fisticuffs, and we hit the, well, we hit the sea. We didn't hit the road, but we hit the sea and we did our own thing. So we're not exactly kingdom-minded, all right? But it would do, we would do ourselves well because we just so happen to be part of a kingdom, which just so happens to be the kingdom of all kingdoms, the kingdom of the Most High God, and the King is our Daddy. That's good stuff. Hallelujah. You know, little kids will be, well, my dad's tougher than your dad, or my dad's could beat up your dad, or well, my dad's God. Woo! What you got now? So he says here that we're the children of God, and if children, then we're also heirs. So an heir is someone with, simply, uh, simply put, an inheritance, a recipient of an inheritance. Now, think about that. When, does, when do you, if you are, uh, my brain's trying to not work for me, benefactor, is that the word I want? Of the will, the, the recipient? Preach. If you're that person, 
When do you get your inheritance? When someone dies, not when you die. Well, we've already received an inheritance because someone else already died on our behalf. So it's, it's already ours. We're waiting to heaven. And don't get me wrong, I'm down with that. And it is going to be better than anything we could imagine. And I understand faith here is a growing process and there it's just perfect and it works. And it's just, I understand that. But I also can read, and the gospel is a gospel of here and now victory. Now, victory implies going through some things. Victory implies, you know, battles. But we have a God on the inside of us who's already won the battle, you know? So if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and joint heirs or fellow heirs with Jesus, with Christ, because he's the firstborn. And so the inheritance is you know, laid up for the firstborn. He's the firstborn, Hebrews tells us, different places tell us, of many brethren. So we're fellow heirs with Christ. So in other words, whatever belongs to him in his humanity, in his sonship, belongs to us. Now, obviously, to the triune God alone goes the worship, the glory, the praise, the etc. But, you know, he's not a stingy God. He likes to share his kingdom, right? Uh, Jesus tells that, and a thousand and one other scriptures tell us that. And then, of course, he says, And if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And uh, suffering, you don't even have to sign up for it. It'll find you. So just, you know. But you do have to use your faith to receive, to walk in the inheritance that belongs to us. Um, now, again... So we see that these keys, at least in part, and I think it's very clear and, and we'll look more and more at it, speak of the authority that the Lord has bestowed upon his people. And so the body of Christ as a whole has a measure of God's authority in the earth. And then, of course, as individual children of God, each of us have and can access and use a certain measure of this kingdom authority. Fair enough? So I want to look here, uh, babe, and it should be in the, the uh, thing there, in Genesis chapter 1 now. Genesis chapter 1, take a look at this authority for a few moments. And the power that is in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 1. And then we'll start in verse 26. Genesis 1, 26, and then... That's all right. It'll eventually get there. Verse 26, and then we'll look at just two, three verses here maybe. It says this, Then God said, Let us, the Trinity, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Well, that alone would, would tell us something about, as, it, as he goes on to tell us here, uh, this level of authority. Let us, and there's so many implications of this, Make man in our image and according to our likeness. So if we're made according to God's likeness, we are like God. I mean, that's just one way to put it. We are like God. Um, it says, male and female, he created them. Excuse me, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. Now this is interesting, and there's a lot of stuff we just don't know. Um, but apparently there was something out of control or out of whack or whatever that needed subduing. You know what I mean? Yeah, something had to be brought under, subdued. And we know in Genesis uh, chapter 1, the beginning part of the chapter, when it says that the earth was formless and void, in the Hebrew that's really strong of saying it was chaos, it was, uh, it was a, a mess. It's hard to really, it was just a dark, vast, waste space, right? And I, tend, I don't know and we don't know and I don't really, whenever, you know, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, occasionally, I tend to think that whatever it was, was Satan's doing. And now, was there a prior creation thing like a lot of people have postulated? I, I don't know. Was there, were there pre-human-like species that God is some I don't know. But something went wrong, some way or another. And as far as I can tell in Scripture, the devil's usually the one behind such things. And it would seem to me that he already existed, Right. And so he tells him to, you know, in the King James, it says, go and replenish the earth. Well, replenish, that means plenish it again. So something must have been going on before where something went wrong. But what does God do? He puts someone here who can manage the situation and can subdue it, can bring it under. That's what submission means, to come under the mission of another, right? And so, and of course, God's mission is always good. God is the one you'll want to submit to because submitting to Him is submitting to perfect love that can never harm you, never manipulate you, you know, etc. And so, something's, something's out of whack here. And God put someone here to help fix this situation. And as we know, of course, uh, He didn't put angels. He put not, if you'll think with me here, he didn't just put humans here, like in some sense. Adam and Eve, as Luke tells us in Luke's gospel, says Adam, when he goes through the genealogies and he works backwards to Adam, he says Adam, who was the son of God. So Adam, Eve, they were created not just as pets, not just as robots, not just as something. They were quite literally Abba's children, God's children, right? And so that's part of the image and likeness that's inside of humanity. That's part of the image and likeness that sin has corrupted on the inside of humanity that Jesus came to redeem and to restore. And here's the thing, here's part of this. Uh, our authority in the kingdom of God over, and when we say authority, you know, I mean, you can over, you know, you're authorized to do something, right? You have dominion over a certain sphere, right? And so we are authorized, think about it, by virtue of the fact that we are children of God. That is what gives us access to kingdom authority. Adam and Eve had access to authority not because of how much they fasted and prayed or how many seminars they went to or how many great books they read on the topic, but by virtue of the fact that they were the triune God's own children. Does that make sense? All right. And so we too have um, access, kingdom access, kingdom authority, simply because we're born again. So you could be three seconds old in the kingdom of God 
And you have authority over Satan, over sickness, over disease, over all the works and cohorts of hell. Can you dig it? Hallelujah. All right. Now, um, let's see here. This thing shut off on me twice today. Hallelujah. Always. It's a good day. It's got to the point if I didn't have to fight, fight with and complain about technology on a Sunday morning, just not church. You know what I mean? And I hope to God that that day comes. Um, I hope this, because a lot of times as charismatics, we, we talk about spiritual authority. And a lot of times, I, I don't think we realize how much we would benefit if we kind of went back and sort of laid some foundational ground. And Because it's real easy to say, hey, just rebuke something in the name of Jesus. If you've never heard, well, why? Or how's that work? Or, yeah, I heard that. Or, but it would be nice if you actually understood it a little bit. I'm talking for myself here at least. You know, it'd be nice to actually understand how these things work a little bit. Um, I want to look at a few more things here. I don't want to keep you too long today, but I, I do want us to notice here in Genesis, Genesis once again, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And again, there's so much in that. God is a triune being, Father, Son, and Spirit. So too we are a triune being, spirit, soul, and body, right? Um, God has a free will. God made us in his image and likeness. Therefore, we have free will. God's nature at its core is divine, perfect, perfect, eternal love. Well, in the new birth, in the rebirth, that's what we are. Uh, Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's happened at the new birth, all right? And it's so important that as Christians, you know, we talk so much, or at least around here we do, uh, and a lot of wonderful ministers do, we talk a lot about the finished work. Finished work theology, you know, it is finished. And um, it's, that's one of those things, you know, it's, you don't ever want to move too far away from that foundation. You always want to live on that finished work ground. And a lot of stuff flows out of that. So whenever I mentioned this last week, and it's not original to me, it's original to the good Lord only knows who, I guess. But a thousand and one preachers have said, and I'm one of them, we don't pray for victory, we pray from victory. We don't, you know, spiritual warfare, we don't engage with the enemy for trying, you know, for victory, trying to overcome him, but from the vantage point of we already have victory. Therefore, we're occupying, we're in, we're the occupying army. We're enforcing the authority, we're enforcing the victory that has already transpired. And a lot of times in all of these areas, we're trying to improve upon uh, the finished work in a certain sense. If, if, you know, that's... I, I'm talking more about what's in our heart and how we approach those things. So, it, so th there, there are these things that are foundational truths. I'm trying to think of... Um, uh, some people call them, uh, 
Uh, oh, I even had extra tea this morning, but my brain's still uh, not wanting to find it. They call it, hold on, it's almost, almost had it. Uh, uh, yeah, it'll come to me. I'll, I'll talk about it, and then the phrase that describes it will hopefully come to me. Um, but uh, th- there are truths concerning our identity in Christ, right? And so every believer, all of our sins have been forgiven. That's just a reality. You don't have to try to get more forgiven. We've been forgiven. That's a truth of your identity right here, right now. All right? Healing. So we think about healing. Well, Isaiah tells us that in the same exact atoning sacrifice in which Jesus died for our sins, he also bore and carried all, in the Hebrew, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, he bore and carried all sickness and disease, all pains and all sorrows, whether internal, external, this is all in the Hebrew, it's all there. Uh, physical, mental, emotional, doesn't matter. He literally, quite literally, took care of it all. And scholars, because of their own presuppositions, have done us a lot of disservice and would do greater service to the body of Christ if in Isaiah 53 they would just translate it that way. Because people, oh, he bore my uh, griefs and sorrows in a spiritual, emotional way. Well, that is true, but in the Hebrew, that's not what he really says there. Not the fullness of what he says. It should say, because that's literally what it says, literally what it means. He hath borne our sicknesses and diseases and carried our pains and sorrows, whether internal or external, and by his wounds we are healed. In Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus came to the earth as a man, said it, we are healed. uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 2.24 Looking back, as we perhaps all know, said, by whose stripes, by whose wounds, by whose scourging, now he puts it past tense, we were healed. And he's quoting Isaiah, and when Isaiah said it, he was talking about, at the very least, physical healing. Of course, it included your emotional component, um, just the whole gamut. I mean, why, why would we not want that to be true? Why would we fight for the right Well, I just don't know. Maybe it's not God's will. What God's will was perfectly revealed at the cross. That was God in all his, understand what I'm saying here, please, in all his vulnerable, open, exposed, naked glory, nothing to hide, no God behind the curtain, no Wizard of Oz scene, you know, type thing going on here. What you see is what you get. This right here is true God from all eternity, self-sacrificial love that takes care of all your needs. Would to God I'd get an amen in this Presbyterian church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, and we may look more in the Genesis stuff here, but I just I don't want to keep us forever today. I want to look at one more place here, uh, maybe just one or two quick places. Uh, quickly, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. And whether, and whether I've been coherent enough or not, we are talking about authority, our spiritual authority in Jesus. And using the name of Jesus... In faith is really a sort of upfront, first and foremost, day one training 
way to use that authority, right? So, you know, if you are, uh, if someone is a policeman, becomes a police officer of some capacity, they, they have a level of authority bestowed upon them from the state or, you know, whatever. We have a level of authority, authority bestowed upon us from the kingdom because we're in the kingdom. And we are to be authority means, you know, you could just sometimes just saying it different little ways can, you know, uh, kind of help tweak or help you catch it a little bit. Simply put, we are authorized, you know. Sir, you're not authorized to be in this room. Well, we have been authorized to use, to enforce the victory that Jesus provided for us. So think about that. Anything that Jesus provided through his redemptive work, we have the authority, the dominion, the authorization to bring that into this realm. Okay, does that make sense? Uh, we are authorized. Let me see, let me just put it this way: We are authorized for kingdom manifestation. All right. So anything that is kingdom, we have the right, the authority to manifest it. And I'm not talking weird New Agey, the 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 you know the secret type stuff, but there is a truth there. We have the right to, in what I'm saying, to manifest and bring these things into. Uh, full expression of our reality, okay? Now, Luke chapter 10 here, which you're probably there. Powerful scriptures here. Uh, I want to start here in verse 1, and Kara's not back there, so you, you have to look on your own Bible there. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1, um, and then we're just going to jump ahead here real quick. He says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. As he was and he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, um, if you jump back to Luke, hold your spot in Luke 10. Jump back to Luke chapter 9, verse 1. So that was the 70, right? Well, look here at the 12. It says, And he called the 12 together and gave them. So this kingdom authority that we have, it is a gift. You don't earn it. Fasting. That's See, again, that's when, what I was trying to, part of what I was trying to get at there a minute ago with understanding it's a finished work, understanding that these things belong to us by virtue of the fact that we're born again. So fasting, praying, etc. does not uh, give you authority over demons because we already have that, because we've been translated, I'm quoting Colossians 1 here, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the marvelous light of his dear son. So we've already been taken out of this kingdom kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, we've been placed by, by nothing we've done, by sheer grace, just by saying yes and thank you. We've been placed in this other kingdom that was already victorious over this dark fallen kingdom before we ever even came along. So this is already a finished work, a done deal. So we have authority by virtue of the fact that we're born again, that we're in this world, that we're not of it, that we are light, 
We are not darkness, right? And so now fasting, praying, praying in the Spirit, etc., will help us to grow in to that authority that's already ours, right? And so um, that's, again, more on that as we continue on here in the coming weeks. But notice here, this is even before the cross, which is you know interesting, but in, in some, somehow, Jesus was able to transfer part of his authority and power to his followers, to his disciples, even before the cross, before the new birth, before they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, don't know exactly how that worked, but other than there was some impartation of his anointing on some level to them. See, we have authority. Why? Because we're born again. That's why. The, the baby Christian who was just saved 10 seconds ago, the, the, the town drunk who comes to the evangelistic meeting and walks down to the front of the church and yells, Jesus, four times in a row and walks back and sits down, but meant it in his heart. Hey, I'm, I hear what they're saying. I believe in you and I'm calling on you now, so I'm going to quite literally do it. Uh, that guy has as much authority over Satan as Lester Summerall, Smith Wigglesworth, the Apostle Paul, Kenneth Hagin, your favorite preacher, or anybody else in between. Why? Because he is in the kingdom of victory. His nature has been changed to a life force, to a nature that by virtue of itself, that ipso facto, is already victorious over this fallen kingdom of darkness. All right? So whenever Jesus vanquished the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Hades, all the victory, all the authority that he raised up in his resurrection, Matthew 28, all authority, Jesus, I'm quoting, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Go you therefore. He took that authority he delegated it, he authorized his followers, and we are part of that lineage. All right? So, it says here, uh, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Verse 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So part of how they proclaimed the kingdom was by killing people. That was part of that proclamation. And so this is, this is part of, I, I alluded earlier to the fact that, you know, as Americans, we don't naturally, just by virtue of where we live anyways, we don't have a kingdom mentality because we're simply not in a kingdom. Th this is one reason uh, it can be very helpful for us to learn these things. Um, well, you know what, and turn back, turn back over to Luke 10. I told you, I told you, I told you to hold your place there. Let me show you this and we're going to start wrapping up here. Um, Luke chapter 10. And then in verse 17 here, and we'll look at just a few verses, verse 17. So we saw he gave a measure of his authority to the disciples. And then we saw the twelve you know, the inner circle, and then there were the 70. Now notice here what happens with the 70, verse 17. It says, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, not in how much prayer time you accrued, which I recommend. It, it will put you more in tune with the Spirit of God within you. 
It will put you more in tune with the authority that belongs to us. But it's ours because of whose we are. Just, I just want to keep drilling that into us. It, you know, that, that's got to be a... a we, we don't want to drift far away from that, that truth. So they come back and, you know, they're pretty excited. They must have been Baptists before this. They didn't know they could cast out devils, you know. And, and it would have scared them anyways, you know. I mean, I'm, you know. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan, or I was watching Satan, fall from heaven like lightning. Now, we can, like, that's kind of an odd answer to me, like, as Jesus was one to do. <laughs> you know, all the time, hey, Jesus, man, it's a beautiful day. The kingdom of heaven is like, what? But you might want to listen. I'd recommend it. He seems to know what he's talking about. But I think one thing he's, he might be saying here is, I saw Satan fall. He fell. He lost his rightful place. He doesn't have authority. Of course you have authority over him. Kind of an explanation there. And, and you know, I, I don't know. I, he could also, just in my way of reading it, I, you know, I can see him saying like, well, yeah, no big deal. That idiot was walking across heaven, gave, gave Abba a, a cross-eyed look one day, and before you could blink, he was out of there. Stripped of his authority, done, powerless. Don't be impressed by him. Of course you've got authority over him. Just kind of along those, you know, like, don't be impressed by that idiot. I was listening to a guy, uh, uh, actually a, a, an official exorcist, so, so, you know, so to speak. You're all exorcists, by the way. If, you ever, if a demon ever manifests, you know, tell it to shut up and come out. But, uh, but you know, this guy was a, a priest who was trained in that. And he spent, how would you like this? He finally got like a two-month sabbatical, a vacation. And what's he, what's he do? He's sent to go learn how to cast out demons in Rome. And he spent his sabbatical, his vacation, sitting in on 40, I think, exorcisms. And one of the things that, uh, as he was being in training for that, one of the things that he mentioned was um, a lot of times demons will try to do stuff to more or less impress you. And it's either to, it's for, and that's really what it is. It's really, it's look what I can do, and it's really to scare, to intimidate, to cripple your faith from working, you know? And so um, he said that in one of the sessions, and he said this is, he didn't say it was common, but you see it from time to time, usually with, quote, more powerful demons, which don't get all tore up about, who cares? They're all less powerful than the name of Jesus. So you got enough power at the end. Um, he said that every now and then, whenever the demon would really manifest and start talking through the people and speaking in other languages and a man's voice in, you know, in, you know, some ancient uh, Ugaritic dialect speaking through a woman, you know, and all this type of stuff. And, you know, they'll do all these things to try to scare you and impress you and all that. He said one of the things they do that's kind of their ace in the hole is they'll, they'll be sitting there, even though it's total manifestation, is that the demon through the person, the person will start levitating. And he said the first time he saw this, he, he sort you know, you, you, has your brain ever gone tilt on something? Like, that can't be real. Where's the wiring? How are they? Who's standing back there? You know, first time I came to Michigan, I've told you guys, first time I ever came here, Linda picks us up from the airport. 
We turn off at South 10th Street. We pull into the driveway and I saw a black squirrel. There are not black squirrels in Tennessee. I did, did not. I did, did not. See, I can't, I'm, I'm sh- shaking. I did, did, did not. Can't even talk about it. I did not know they existed. Never saw them. I don't know. Never saw one in a book. I don't know. Don't know how. Don't know why. Might as well have seen Bigfoot. My brain just, and they're bigger. And I've been told time and again, they're meaner. <laughs> but anyways, like this guy, you know, I guess his brain goes, but here, here's what he said. They had priests who was there in training. I don't think they even said anything from what I remember. Walks over to the, the person, puts his hand on, on his head, pushes him back down, and then goes back to praying or rebuking or whatever he was doing. But he didn't, in other words, really, you think you're cute little, my God parts Red Seas and creates worlds out of nothing. And, and, and beyond all of that, he saves sinners. My God. I mean, he can heal cancer. He can melt AIDS out of your body. He can make hordes of angels. And you're going to raise up out of your seat and impress me. Yeah, that's real cute. You know, in other words, that, that was my commentary, you know, on, on what the approach was. Pushed them back down into their seat and then went on about, you know, getting that demon out of them. And so I don't know if some of that's in what Jesus is saying here. In other words, don't be impressed. I saw him fall like lightning, big whoop, you know. But then he says this in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not find your joy in this, but because because as charismatics, we are all too often, I don't care if, if it's in the Bible. I don't care if it's halfway in the Bible. I don't care if the best preacher ever preached it or the biggest flake. We like doctrines that are fun. We like to jump and cast out and swing and Jericho march. And I look like Michael Jackson up here. I don't know what just happened. But we just, we want glory portals and glory tunnels and angelic this is. And, and I'm honestly pretty much, you know, count me in. If there's a blessing to be had, count me in. But I love that Jesus kind of reminds them here, keep the main thing the main thing. Yes, You have authority through me over the kingdom of darkness and over demons. And I understand that that would excite you, especially if you didn't know that before. But just remember, don't find your source of strength and joy in that reality. You can prophesy. Great. You lay hands on the sick and they get healed. Phenomenal. Keep doing it. But don't rejoice. Don't find your consistent source of joy in these things. But rather, as Jesus said, says here, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. <sighs> Keep the main thing the main thing, right? So I'm, you know, that's the big deal. That's the main thing. Yes. As necessary and as important as knowing our authority in the Lord is and, and using, learning to use effectively that authority, right? But always... You know, when you lay your head down at night, let your joy be in the person of Jesus. Not, not even, not in experiences, not in experiences with God, not even, you know, in, not in doctrine, you know, um, but the person of Jesus, you know, that's where our joy, that, that's the only place where joy is to be found. It's in him. Paul said in Philippians 3, for whom? I've suffered the loss of all things, you know, for a person, not just for a cause, not just for Christianity per se, but for a person, Jesus Christ. 
That's our joy. He's our joy. He's our strength. So that that was sort of a uh, good. Thank you. That a uh, little a little more of an in, you know uh, an intro into this, and we are going to look more at you know from scripture and different things, uh, the authority we have in Jesus, and that's just one aspect of those keys of the kingdom. Um, but this is important, I think, for all of us to ever be reminded of, and. Uh, to learn these things because you know we all want to have the right approach you don't want to um you know it's sort of uh who was i who who, can't remember who i heard talking about this but you know you sort of hear different theories you hear some you know you hear some preachers talking about well you don't need to find you don't you know don't be so devil conscious that you see a devil behind every bush and then some preachers i've heard say you know well i well i God told me such and such, or this happened, and now I see three or four devils behind every bush. You know, well, I just the devil's real, and we know that, and he likes to interfere, and we know that. But I still want my focus on Jesus, and when Satan shows up, I do want to be equipped to properly use my authority and deal with the defeated forces of hell as they try to show up and interfere in our lives. And the beautiful thing is each and every one of us, whether we know it or not, whether we're walking in it or not, whether we fully grasp it or not or whatever, all of us in this room, all of you watching as children of God, we all have spiritual power and authority over Satan, over every demon of hell, and over all the works of darkness. Not because we're so great, but because he's so great. 1 John 4, greater is he who is in you than he who's outside of you. All the time, every time. There's no qualifier. There's no exception there. It's just a statement of fact. Jordan Ork would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that this podcast has been able to encourage and minister to you today. Jordan Ork would also like to invite you to check out jordanorkministries.com. 